Welcome to Real Truth for Today with Pastor Jeff Shreve, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas. Now, here's Pastor Jeff. Well, good Friday morning to you. I hope everything is going well. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. You can listen to From His Heart every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time right here on American Family Radio. Well, one of the scripture passages we refer to time and time again is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's Paul's last chapter. 2 Timothy is his last letter that he wrote before he was martyred for his faith. And he told his uh, young child in the ministry, that's what he called Timothy, my son in the ministry, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Well, it's a great pleasure for me to welcome to the program a dear friend, Dr. Chuck Kelly. He is president emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, distinguished research professor of evangelism, and the husband, as it says on his website, the husband of beautiful Rhonda. Uh, Dr. Chuck, welcome to the program. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Delighted to be here. Okay, well, first things first, tell us about Rhonda's health situation. Uh, well, it's not good. Rhonda is in hospice care for her cancer and is nearing the end of her journey. We're grateful for all of those who've been praying for her. God's been very gracious. He's given us a great peace. Uh, we're just at that point of ready for her to have her home going. Mm, I'm so sorry, Chuck. Uh, Rhonda is a, a beautiful person inside and out, and uh, she was uh, on our program, gosh, it was probably, what, Chuck, a year ago, maybe, something like that, where yep. she talked about her dad? Right. Yep. Yes, yeah, she really enjoyed that, too. Well, she was uh, she was such a wonderful guest, and uh, her dad was the chaplain of Bourbon Street, Bob Harrington, and a uh, very interesting story. If you go back on the AFR uh, uh website you can uh, archives you can listen to that well uh dr chuck i wanted to talk to you i know you've done extensive research on what's going on in the southern baptist convention you have a, a great heart for the southern baptist convention uh, you've been southern baptist uh, i think i i heard that right your whole your whole life um and i started going excuse me i started going to first baptist church of beaumont texas nine months before i took my first breath <laughs> so I have been Southern Baptist all of my life and proud of it. So when did you uh, when did you come to know Christ in a real way in your life, Chuck? I came to know Christ and was baptized when I was about the age of 10 uh, there at First Baptist Church of Beaumont, Texas, and have been walking with the Lord. I just have never known anything about life without Christ in my mind. Uh, as a teenager, I had a very profound renewal experience. Uh, and really understood it meant giving him absolutely everything in my life. Happened while I was on a family vacation. I uh, had a, a hotel room to myself for the very first time in Duluth, Minnesota, 
as we were getting ready to return home after a fishing trip. And during that night, Jesus came to me and just said, okay, buddy, it's everything. And I got down on my knees by my bed. I said, Lord, all that I am, I give to you. And it's been staying in step with him ever since, much to my delight and benefit and blessing. Okay, Dr. Chuck, let me ask you this, because I know you're an evangelist at heart, and that's your, that's your uh, motivational gift from the Lord. Um, in evangelism today, it seems like we have shifted in the Southern Baptist Convention and just in, in Christendom in general. Um, we, we so want to see people saved that we don't really talk about repentance and that doesn't seem to be in the equation, and the conviction of sin seems to take a back seat to just believe on Jesus. Uh, what, what have you seen over the years with that? Well, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, we are just light years away from where we have typically been. And yes, uh, repentance is an absolutely essential component of salvation, and we turn away from life on our terms and turn to life on the terms of Jesus. But in Southern Baptist life, we've just gotten further and further away from that whole notion of people need to turn to Jesus Christ in order to be right with God. And we just sort of assume that if you are in church or if you are living a decent life and people think highly of you, we really don't think much about your spiritual condition. Uh, lostness is something that happens to people overseas, or lostness is something that happens when people are living really wild and rebellious lives. But absolutely every one of us must come to the recognition that we are living life on our own terms. We are wrapped up in sin. We are on the road to hell until we come to the point of recognizing God and God alone must save us. We cannot do anything to change our spiritual condition. But Jesus can. And we make that about face, turning away from life on my terms and turning to Jesus. And that's when salvation happens, when we turn away from life on our terms and turn to Christ in Christ alone. He becomes our Lord and our Savior. Okay, Dr. Chuck, let me ask you this. I was thinking about, as you were talking, I was thinking about this quote from William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. This is over a hundred years ago. And he said this, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. How prophetic was that quote. Extremely. There's a reason why William Booth is just one of the great believers uh, in the Church's history and did so much good with his life and the founding of the Salvation Army, but that's a beautifully eloquent, crisp, sharp statement. That is, every phrase of it is there for a reason and worth listening to. Did uh, Now, in your studies, and as, as seminary president, you've seen a lot, I mean, you're older than I am, so you've seen a lot of life. Um, do you think a lot of guys in your generation sensed that this was coming just like he did uh, over 100 years? I think he mentioned that, what, in 1899 or something like that. Um, that was a yeah. long time ago, and he really could see down the road. 
as you look down the road, because I know you've done a extensive research on the numbers and where we are, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, what does Dr. Chuck Kelly say if you look in your crystal ball for the next 20, 30, 40 years? A mess. That's putting it simply, uh, just a mess. And I think that we as a convention uh, have kind of lost our way. I've been thinking recently a blast from the past from English literature, uh, a poem by William Butler Yeats called The Second Coming. And it has just a couple of very profound phrases. Let me just read a little bit of it to you. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. And that's kind of where we are. The center holds everything together. Uh, you don't have much of a wheel, a bicycle wheel, if you don't have a hub at the center of it holding everything together. We are losing our center in the church. And if it's that way in the church, it is far more so in the culture. And there's just uh, an ever-growing anarchy, if you will. I think so often of the phrases from uh, the phrase from the judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we're getting to as a nation uh, and even in the church. And it's very concerning. It sounds an awful lot like we're approaching the final days. Yeah, it really does to me, too. Okay, on your website, uh, Dr. Kelly, which is uh, Dr. Chuck Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y.com, uh, you have this quote. Uh, the problem in the Southern Baptist, Baptist Convention is not more of us don't witness to our neighbors, but more of us don't look like Jesus. Now, we, we talk on this program a lot, and I talk to our church about two words. We've just kind of boiled it down to two words to make it simple. The job of a Christian is to shine for Christ. That's the way you live and share. Open your mouth and share like the gathering demoniac. Go and tell all uh, what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And so on in that quote, uh, you would say the, the bigger problem in the shine and share is not the share, but the shine. Yes, and it, it's actually both of them, but you cannot share effectively without the shine. And the shine alone is not enough because you're not explaining why you are the way you are. It takes both of those. When I was growing up uh, in the 50s and 60s, people told jokes about Baptists. We were so distinctly different than the people around us, people noticed. And so to be a Baptist meant you had a reputation about the way that you live. I haven't heard a Baptist joke in a long time. Uh, people don't talk about us very much because we blend in with the culture around us. Mm -hmm. And we do the same things our neighbors do, and we laugh at the same jokes, and we often go to the same movies, watch the same TV, and there's just not that much distinctive about our lives for many of us. And when there's nothing distinctive about our lives, there's not much power in our witness, and there's not as many opportunities to witness. Dr. Chuck, in your years as uh, president, active president of New Orleans Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, did, did you see year to year how things were starting to, to move uh, in, in a bad direction just with the maybe the mindset of the student coming in as opposed to what it was 10, 15, 20 years before that? 
Well, there was very clear movement, and it's just it's interesting to think about it. Uh, Pastor, you might be curious to know, during my last few years as seminary president, there were fewer and fewer guys who were interested in being pastors. Uh, they were afraid of it because it's so hard, and, you know, and the church might want to run you off or something like that. Uh, so many churches were moving into decline, and trying to turn a church around is a challenging thing. And we had people who just did, didn't want to have to handle all the pressures uh, and challenges of being a pastor. And, you know, that was just inconceivable for so many years. Most of the guys who came to a seminary came in order to become pastors. That's less so today than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you have a lot more interest in things like counseling and things like uh, teaching and other kind of staff ministry positions. But to be that guy God has leading the church and to set that course and to preach the Word and to deal with issues as they come up, that's very intimidating to many students today. So it's one of my big prayers, God, raise up pastors, put that role in the heart of some of our young men today because we desperately need them. I, I saw something or read something somewhere. I think it came from John MacArthur, but he was quoting some statistics, and he said, you know, in seminaries today, you have more and more women that are getting MDivs uh, than you ever had before. And, uh, you know, if, if we believe the Scripture, it's very clear that a pastor is the husband of one wife. Uh, it's, it's not a woman. I know this is a big issue now in the Southern Baptist Convention. We have the, the Mike Law Amendment before us at this convention coming up in June. Uh, we just got a, a minute before the break, but uh, what's your take on that? Well, you have more women wanting to do the India program, but it's not to become a pastor. I, there, there are very few women yet in my experience in Southern Baptist life that want to be the senior pastor of a church. Uh, that is still very uncommon in Southern Baptist life. They are wanting the theological training. They are wanting the biblical training uh, for whatever God is calling them to do. They're not trying to become the pastor of a church. And we just live in a day when we really do need the guys to step up, to assume the role that God has called them to assume, and not be afraid of the difficult task, of the real challenging uh, issues in front of us. We need a day for men to step up and serve Christ, whatever the cost may be. They think about that as a missionary. Amen. Yes, got to be heroic if you're going to be a missionary. They don't we're, think about that. We're talking to Dr. Chuck Kelly. You're listening to Real Truth for today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We'll be right back after the break. We're now confirmed dead in this latest violent attack. Abortion continues to be a hot-button issue. Man. It seems like the news gets worse every day. I can't even watch it. There's just nothing but bad news. You want some good news? Jesus loves you. Pfft. Yeah, right. What does that mean? It means Jesus, who was actually God in human form, suffered and died to pay the penalty for sinners like you and me. He took the blame for all the sin in the world and then suffered and died so that we wouldn't have to be punished. So what? I'm not a sinner. <laughs> Actually, we're all sinners. But God says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. That sounds like good news. Is it true? Here, let me show you in the Bible. Share the good news today. A reminder from American Family Radio.
The world around us is constantly challenging the way we think. That's why we need a constant source of information that's based on the unchanging Word of God. I'm Jeff Shambly, and I invite you to join me for The Stand Radio, a weekly program that highlights the latest trends in culture, faith, and family. You'll hear insightful interviews with a biblical worldview application. The Stand Radio, Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 8 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Today's issues. At the bottom of the hour, Jenna Ellis will be with us, host of the Jenna Ellis in the Morning program. And then Dr. Alex McFarland, co-host of Exploring the Word, will be with us at 1045. So I'm just saying, if Tim and Ed... Don't cut it. Don't cut it. That we've invited guests on this hour <laughs> so that you can right. listen to them. That's right. Today's issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. American Family Association has a wonderful way to say thank you for your support of this ministry. Through the end of February, for any financial gift to AFA, we'll send you a copy of the brand new devotional, Faithful Reflections, Devotions from AFA Staff. This book includes 31 daily devotions on topics like faith, hope, marriage, and spiritual growth. Each daily reading includes a scripture reference, commentary, and additional space to write in your thoughts, reflections, and prayers. And the writers are AFA staff members, many of whom you know. People like Ed Vitagliano, Abraham Hamilton III, and J.J. Jasper. Our prayer is that you'll be touched by God's Word and by the Holy Spirit. Also, for your gift of $35 or more, we'll send you a second copy of the book, so you'll have a copy to share. This offer is good through February 29th. Give online at afa.net slash devo. And thank you for standing with American Family Association. This is Real Truth For Today. Podcasts of the program are available on the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to Pastor Jeff Shreve. Welcome back to the program, Pastor Jeff here. I'm talking to Dr. Chuck Kelly. He's the Distinguished Research Professor of Evangelism and President Emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I encourage you to pray for uh, Dr. Chuck as his beautiful, sweet, wonderful wife, Rhonda, is getting ready to go home and meet the Lord. And uh, she's been battling cancer now for the, uh, quite a bit of time. And, uh, and the end of her journey is, is coming, is fast approaching. And so we just uh, want to pray for Dr. Chuck and, and Rhonda and the family at this time. Well, uh, Dr. Chuck, let me ask you this. Um, we have lots of listeners that aren't Southern Baptists, and so uh, I think from, from an outsider's perspective, they would say, you know, what's the big deal about whether you're Southern Baptist or whether you're Methodist or Presbyterian? You know, we're all, we're all Christians, uh, those of us who have turned from sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus, which is true. But why is, uh, why is what happens in the Southern Baptist Convention, why is that important for America? Well, Southern Baptists have long been the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. And as such, uh, they have a lot of, have had a lot of influence and a lot of impact affecting not only the work that our churches are doing, but the work of other people. Uh, let me put it in a little different context. I had a friend who did not like big churches, and he thought churches ought to be smaller, and he just did not like the whole idea of real big churches. And lo and behold, God called him to a church in Houston, Texas, 
Well, Houston's got more mega churches per square inch than just about <laughs> anything else in the country. And he had been there a couple of years. I was passing through town and spent the night with him, and I said, so here you are in the center of big church land. Uh, has your opinion changed or altered in any way about big churches? He said, it's absolutely changed. He said, what I've come to realize is that the big churches are able to do things on a scale that gets the attention of the whole culture, that gets the attention of the whole city that people notice and will talk about. But a lot of people don't want to be a part of a big church. And every year, a couple, two or three of the really big churches do their really fancy Christmas pageants in the month of December. In January, I'm getting new members. I'm getting people uh, coming to our church to become Christians or to join our church, be part of it, because God touched their life in those big things, but they found their home in our smaller church. So in the same way, Southern Baptists add a momentum and a weight to the witness to the gospel because of their size and scale and way of doing things that all Christian groups can benefit from because of our common association of the gospel. So I think that's why what happens to Southern Baptists is a matter of interest and concern for people who are never going to be Southern Baptists. We were having a presidential cycle election, and a president of the Southern Baptist Convention was in chapel uh, several years ago, and we went out for lunch, and he said, you know, I've been a bit surprised that I haven't had very much contact with the media during this big election cycle asking me, what do Southern Baptists think about this, or what do Southern Baptists think about that? I thought I would have more contacts from the national media. And I said, well, Pastor, I hate to break this to you. Do you really want to know why you haven't had many contacts from the media? He said, yeah, I'm very curious. It was a surprise to me. I said, they don't care. Mm. And I said, we're the smaller Baptist Convention. That's what SBC stands for, not just Southern Baptist Convention. And they don't care as much because we are fading. That's why. Very vivid example, every convention I've gone to for years has had protesters of various sorts uh, picketing outside the convention hall. Well, lo and behold, a year or two ago, we were in Anaheim, California, and we were at the brink of the Roe versus Wade decision from the Supreme Court. Everybody knew it was going to be breaking sometime very soon, perhaps during the convention. It's pretty widely known by people that Southern Baptists are strongly pro-life in their activity, and abortion protesters had always been in the crowds around the convention hall, uh, along with other groups, whenever I'd go to convention. At that Anaheim, California convention, on the brink of one of the biggest Supreme Court decisions in history on a very controversial moral, ethical issue, I did not see one protester of any kind, one picketer of any kind, outside the Southern Baptist Convention Hall during our convention. The people wow. of California, opposed to Southern Baptist, they just didn't care. So that's why if there's a healthy Southern Baptist Convention, we get things on the radar for everybody. Things that they can take advantage of, momentum that they can use, or conversations that they can start. When we fail to do that, and instead of being outward-oriented in the things that we're doing, and putting all of our punching weight into the Great Commission and the Gospel and living for Jesus, and we pull inside and we turn our attention inside our churches, 
it diminishes the opportunity for every evangelical church. Well, it seems to me, Dr. Chuck, um, we have this shift where we want to be liked. You know, the, the statement that was made from the platform a few years ago, you know, the world is watching how we do things. Are we going to have infighting uh, because th- that's poor witness? And I, I agree, that is a poor witness. But it seems like we're more concerned that the world is watching than we are that God is watching. Uh, our uh, commission from the Lord is not to be popular, it's to be faithful. And uh, if we speak the truth in love, that for a lost and dying world, obviously, John 3, Jesus said, you know, uh, this is the, the witness that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil or are evil. So there's some that come out of the darkness, but the rest of the world that doesn't is going to hate us. And, uh, you know, unless we just compromise and jettison the truth, uh, that's going to be our our lot in this world. Comment on that. Do you do you see that taking place in the Southern Baptist Convention? That it seems like we're we're chasing the world's approval and popularity. Well, Pastor Jeff, I've got some really sad news for you. Uh, I'm afraid I have to tell you, the world isn't watching the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? Lost people really don't care what happens at the SBC. Right. They're not looking for news in the newspaper or on the headline or on the uh, Internet. Who does care are other Christians. And there are a lot of churches who are more concerned about the people in other churches they'd like to recruit to their church, their opinions of Southern Baptists, than lost people. Lost people don't care. They're not thinking about us. They're not thinking about the issues that are of a concern to us that much. And that's why we've just really got to understand evangelism is going after lost people, not some person who's a disgruntled Methodist or somebody who's a Presbyterian we'd love to have as one of our tithers. Uh, We've got to realize it is all about getting the gospel to those who are lost, teaching the Bible, and following Jesus as faithfully as we are able to in order to have God's blessing and in order to do God's work and in order to accomplish God's objectives. So I do think we worry too much about the lost world watching. They're not watching. I'll tell you who they are watching. That's our members and how they live. It's what a Southern Baptist is doing in his office uh, Monday through Friday. It's the way he handles himself when he's teaching in school or being an attorney. It's the conversations he has when he's out on the golf course or he's hunting or he's fishing and the kinds of stories that he tells and the kind of jokes that he has and, and whether or not he's a person of integrity. Uh, you know, does he cheat on his golf score and stuff like that? Now, lost people. Now, you're starting to meddle. Yes. Cheating on your golf score. You're starting to meddle now. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, it's just uh, amazing how little people understand about what brings people to Christ. Yeah. Why on earth did people turn to Christ in times of terrible persecution when Christians were being slaughtered for their faith? Anabaptists during the Reformation had an average life expectancy of 18 months from their baptism. Within 18 months being baptized, the typical Anabaptist would be dead, murdered, martyred. And yet people came to Christ through the Anabaptist witness by the thousands during the Reformation. Why, oh why, 
do people come to Christ during times of intense persecution? It's because of the life they see believers living. They see the difference. They see the impact. They wonder how in the world do they have that kind of peace in their soul in these stressful times? How in the world can they be gentle when everybody's being so ugly to them? How in the world can they have marriages like they have? Can their children be like they are? How do you get that? That's what brings people to Christ. So it goes back to that, letting the light shine and speaking what the light's all about. That, that combination of living and speaking that is so critical. You take out one, you greatly diminish the impact of the other. Okay, Dr. Chuck, for those that don't aren't familiar with the Anabaptists, can you give a brief little history and, and why they were so persecuted as opposed to other other groups? The Anabaptists came out of the Reformation. It started with a group of young men, five young men, who were students of one of the major reformers, a man by the name of Ulrich Zwingli, uh, a Swiss man, and he was teaching these guys the Greek New Testament in Zurich. And as he taught them the Greek New Testament, these five guys, very sharp, they say, well, Professor, you, you, you left something out. That word you're using is baptism in the Greek language. That means immerse. And baptism is by immersion, not by sprinkling. It's for believers only. That's the only people the New Testament talked about being baptized were believers. Well, that was a bridge too far for Zwingli and for the other Reformers. They did not want to acknowledge that New Testament word translated baptism is just transliterated. It's the letters of the word, not a translation. The word did mean immerse. So Anabaptist means baptize again. And these guys, when they came to faith in Christ, said, now we need to be baptized. We were sprinkled as infants, had no clue what we were doing, meant nothing to us. We were just infants. Now we're giving our lives to Christ. We want to show the life death and burial of Christ and his resurrection through the act of baptism. We want to publicly indicate we are followers of Christ. And that set them at war with the Reformers, who absolutely despised that. And there was actually a conference at one point when the Catholics and the Reformers agreed that they would both persecute the Anabaptists, which is why that persecution, because it came from both sides, was so brutal. Both the Catholics and the Reformers were killing the Anabaptists. And you can go to Zurich, Switzerland today, and there's a place by the river uh, that runs through town that has a marker. This is where they drowned the Anabaptists in Zurich, which was a Reformation city. And I have visited a cave in the woods and up on top of a hill outside of Zurich, a very remote location. I climbed all the way up there, and in that cave, uh, out from town is where the Anabaptists would gather to worship because they could sing and they could pray and preach and people wouldn't know they were doing it. They could be safe when they worshiped uh, in that cave. I've been in that cave myself and seen it. So these were people who knew the price of following Jesus and determined that price was worth paying. They lived short lives after their baptism, most of them. And it was a brutal existence, but boy, people came to Jesus because of the power of their life and the power of their testimony. So, Dr. Chuck, since, I mean, that seems to be a pretty easy thing to defend in Scripture, that baptizo means to immerse. Why was that such a, um, uh, such a lightning rod issue? 
it was too radical. It was too radical. And the reformers all thought that was a bridge too far, that, that that's getting people upset about something that's more important to get them in the Bible. It's more important uh, to get them uh, to turn to Christ in faith. And helping them really understand the meaning of baptism was a third-level issue, I suppose you could call it for them. It was not worth the fight, so let's don't even talk about that. Let's just talk about the Word. God's Word is God's Word for everyone. Let's get the Bible in people's language. Let's call people to salvation. In Christ, salvation is not by works. It is not by uh, joining a church. You have to turn to Christ in repentance and in faith. And then they just stopped the tape at that point. They did not want to get into something they felt was too controversial and might hinder their ability to call people to the truthfulness of the Word of God and to the necessity of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Anabaptists said, well, yeah, we're going to call people to God's Word. We're going to call people to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we're also going to tell them, when you come to Christ, Jesus said you need to be baptized. And God's Word says you need to be baptized as a public witness to your faith in Christ and to the gospel. So the Anabaptists uh, took on the controversy the Reformers were afraid to take on. They couldn't deny what the Word meant. I mean, it's right there. And I have visited churches in the ancient world, and you go to uh, ancient churches in the first two or three hundred years of the church, they all have immersionist baptistries. It's the most amazing thing. Augustine's Church in North Africa, I, I stood in the baptistry at the entrance to Augustine's Church, and he did practice baptism by immersion. I, I saw it myself. And then it changed, and I was actually in the, the youngest of the ancient churches I saw on that trip across North Africa had an immersionist baptistry, and in the center of it, they had put a pillar with a font for baptism by sprinkling. And you could see with those two things in the same place where it changed. And mm. after that change was brought in by the Catholic Church, and they began to sprinkle infants rather than baptizing converts by immersion. After that change was implemented and became rooted in hundreds of years, the Reformers just didn't want to take it on, and they did not want the Anabaptists to take it on. They did not want them to call attention to it. That's why they they used Anabaptists to ridicule them, baptize again uh, is what it means, and they yeah. persecuted them and were willing to torture and kill them because of their call to follow the Lord's example in baptism. Well, we're talking to Dr. Chuck Kelly. You're listening to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We'll be right back. Progressive elites in Hollywood, big tech, mainstream media, and higher academia are lying to our next generation. They want to convince our young people that America's biblical foundation is offensive, outdated, and must be overthrown. Your gift today will unleash AFA action to share the timeless truth of why protecting the biblical family is essential to the survival of the American Republic. You'll also get the free DVD and booklet set, Progressive Threat to the American Republic. 
visit afaaction.net. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Isaiah 40:31 says, But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What really is waiting on the Lord? Waiting can be acknowledging God in every moment. Waiting can also be following the peace of the Holy Spirit, even peace in the chaos. Now, don't let waiting on God be an excuse for timidity or laziness. We already have some instructions, so we should not wait for a thunderous voice for what is already clearly told to us. Maybe you were called to be a missionary, or maybe you're just supposed to pray, read the Bible, and love more. Waiting on the Lord is being patient when God says to wait, and it's being obedient when God says, or has already said, to go. But where God hasn't spoken, continue to wait and pray, and He will renew your strength. This has been an encouraging word from American Family Radio. The words you are about to hear are taken from letters sent in by members of the Trinity Debt Management Program. Dear Trinity, today I'm making my final credit card payment. Before I came to you, I was in a constant state of anxiety and panic, but now there is hope for my family's financial future. Working with Trinity made me understand that I'm not alone. You really do help people. Your kindness will never be forgotten. Without Trinity's support, I would not have achieved my lifelong goal of becoming debt-free. We saved a lot on interest and penalties, of course, but the reward was the gift of human kindness. Trinity has carried me through a very difficult time in my life. You're amazing. I used to feel so anxious and hopeless. Now I feel grace and peace. God bless Trinity as you continue to help others become debt-free. If credit card debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. If you'd like to contact Pastor Jeff, email pastorjeff at fromhisheart.org. Now, back to Real Truth for Today with Pastor Jeff Shreve. Welcome back to the program. Pastor Jeff here. We're talking to Dr. Chuck Kelly, President Emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, in the last segment, we were talking about the Anabaptists from, uh, that sprung out of the Reformation. And uh, Dr. Chuck, I'm just kind of curious um, because I get people today, if I preach on, on believers' baptism and how baptism is uh, it, it's a, an expression of your faith, it's the first thing the Lord asks us to do when we give our heart and life to Christ, but it's not essential for salvation. You're saved and then you're baptized. And as you can imagine, uh, when that goes out on the airwaves, that I'll have people from the Church of Christ, they... they contact me, you're, you're not preaching the truth, you're a heretic, you have to be baptized to be saved. Acts chapter 2 is clear. Uh, the word for ice in the Greek doesn't mean because of, it means exactly what it means for repent and let each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So uh, could you say that what the Anabaptists were doing 
with saying you have to be you have to be baptized after salvation would would somehow in some maybe thin thread be akin to what the Church of Christ people do? No, they never tied it to that. Uh, for the Anabaptists, it was a question of radical obedience. Jesus commanded it. The Lord asked it of us. Therefore, we do it. Uh, and they, they would have, no, they never, ever hinted that baptism was what made the salvation fully effective. Baptism was a step in the salvific process. Right. But it was a radical obedience. But, that but was from the focus yeah, is that what the Bible teaches us, we must do. But I could see from the standpoint, I guess what's shocking to me is why you would have Reformed Christians that would think they need to kill other Christians. They believe on the Lord Jesus the same. They have a difference of opinion about baptism which just like, you know, John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul were good buddies, but they had a big difference of opinion on baptism. But that's not a fellowship breaker. How, how would you interact with that? Well, because you're in a completely different environment. There is nothing but the Catholic Church. There is nothing but the Catholic Church. And the Reformers, remember, they were called Reformers, not Transformers. And at first they thought they could just reform the Catholic Church, and then they uh, they finally realized, okay, they had to they had to create something different. But they were forced into that. That was not their goal. Same with John Wesley in the 18th century. John Wesley did not want to break away from the Church of England. Uh, he he did not start out to do that. He was forced into it by the persecution of the Church of England against him and against his followers until they finally started something different. So you're in this overwhelmingly Catholic Church. Right now, most Christians know Christians in other faith families than their own, and you know that they have some different practices. Mm -hmm. There was no different in that day. There was no different. There was this one thing, and it was very deeply rooted in the psyche, in the expectations, and in the experience of people. And uh, the Reformers just felt like, remember, they're reforming, they're not transforming. The Reformers felt like that was just a bridge too far, and it wasn't really necessary. And for their reasons, uh, they just chose not to do it. I mean, and, and Zwingli participated in the hunting down and killing of his students. I, you know, as a teacher yeah, myself, yeah. I have students uh, that I taught that did not agree with me or I did not agree with them, but the thought that I would hunt down and kill them because they disagreed with me, that's just such a ludicrous thought. I cannot even conceive that. But that's how deep a question this was. For mm -hmm. the Anabaptists, it was a matter of radical obedience, that this was the command of Christ Jesus himself, John said to Jesus, you don't need to be baptized, why don't you baptize me? Jesus insisted on being baptized himself. And the meaning of the text uh, is clear there about immersion and why it's immersion and you know, portraying the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and all these things. So it meant something to the Anabaptists that it did not mean to the Reformers, and they didn't have anything else to judge it against, and they were reluctantly being dragged into creating 
a separated church from the Catholic Church. It was not their goal. It was not their intent. It was not what they uh, thought they would be doing. But they were just gradually forced into it, and they felt that the Anabaptists were just too radical in their obedience. All right, let me shift gears on you a little bit, Dr. Chuck. Um, This idea, you hear this uh, in some large churches especially, uh, our church exists for those who are not a part of it. And once you become a Christian, this church is no longer for you. Now you're in the Lord's army and everything is evangelism. Everything we do is evangelism. Uh, I know Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick, who is a well-known uh, preacher in North Carolina, uh, that, that they say that. I've heard, I think, Rick Warren's church was kind of like that. Um, what do you say about that? Obviously, evangelism is super important. But is that the is that the uh, reason that we come together on Sunday morning? You're you're talking about trying to divide something that cannot be divided. You're talking about trying to separate something that cannot be separated. So let's go back to the Great Commission that Jesus gave us the command to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. In the ancient churches that I have visited, uh, very many times that immersionist baptistry that goes back to the early centuries of the church is often located at the front door, not in the center of the sanctuary, because one had to be, and that's the way it was with Augustine's church, Augustine's church. You were baptized uh, as a believer first, and then you came into the church to be taught and discipled. And you cannot separate those two things. And Southern Baptists are seeing the fruit of not discipling. Uh, When I grew up, the Southern Baptist Convention had a very comprehensive process of congregational discipleship that took you from the cradle to the grave, uh, both in introducing you to Jesus uh, and keep talking about him until your conversion and then also discipling you. We taught our children the geography of the world through our mission uh, program and where we had missionaries, and on and on I could go. But we had a very comprehensive program of congregational discipleship. That died. That wore out and was never replaced. And we're paying the price because of it. And so Baptists look more and more like their neighbors because we have not discipled as we once did, and people are afraid of being different. I mean, I I stood out in my high school. I was different. Uh, I did not go to school dances and things like that, which sounds so weird to a lot of people today, but I didn't, and people knew. I mean, when our coach wanted to move football practice during the hot summer two-a-day workouts to Wednesdays at 6 o'clock, I had to go to my coach and say, Coach, I'll be at practice every day but Wednesday. I'll have to miss practice so I can go to prayer meeting. That was that was very radical. And I'm I'm starting football player, and I'm telling the coach I'm not coming to practice on Wednesday so I can go to church. That's against the tide kind mm-hmm. of living. Now, I can tell you that I was still, and it wasn't me. It's just what God chose to do. I won so many awards when I was in high school. I was the first student ever asked to give a commencement address at graduation. I was student body president, forced into running for that. I had to go to the principal's office my senior year and refused to accept any more reward awards so other people could get them. Uh, 
yes, I was living against the tide, but I was still respected. That just happened to be what God wanted to do with my life. But we have lost that sense of living against the tide and realizing that's the gig, to use a contemporary phrase. That's right. the deal. That's what you sign up for when you follow Christ, to live against the tide of the culture around us. Yeah, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Yeah. Hey, Dr. So Chuck, you do that in church. That's where, that's where the that's why discipleship matters. Now, if you only do discipleship, you've got a real problem because you can't separate discipleship from evangelism and those churches that focus slow, solely on teaching people the Bible and solely on discipleship, and they are not uh, doing evangelism and trying to reach lost their communities, they're just as wrong as churches that ignore discipleship. It is both and. Mm-hmm. Amen. Let, let me ask you this question. So, because you've been in Southern Baptist life your whole life, how much have you seen things shift in uh, Southern Baptist churches concerning eschatology? Uh, if you go back, let's say, 40 years ago, do you think most Southern Baptist churches, obviously not all, but most were uh, more uh, premillennial and uh, dispensational than they are now? There's a deeper shift than that. The deeper shift that has happened is a lack of interest, particularly on the part of people in the ministry. And those conversations about eschatology would often happen over coffee in the cafeteria after chapel or between classes. It was something that guys debated among themselves and thought about. Uh, there's just not interest. And I would say that's one of two things. I, I find very little interest on the part of many Southern Baptists, and especially Southern Baptist pastors, on evangelism in their communities. They're big on missions overseas. That's the great paradox, passionate about missions overseas. Don't really care about the dry cleaner uh, who does my dry cleaning and isn't a Christian. Don't really care about the salvation of the children who are my friends, who are the children of your friends. Uh, they really, people don't think about evangelism, nor do they think about eschatology. We're living in the now, right now. Now is overwhelming. Now is a constant flood of Internet, social media streams, and, and flicking through Facebook and Twitter and all, all those things. We live in now. And so, frankly, people just don't think that much about eschatology. Now, the, the people in the pew think about it more than the pastor's. Any pastor I've ever asked, have you ever done a preaching series through the book of Revelation, will tell me they had the highest level of interest in sermon series than they ever had in any sermon series they'd ever done. People in the pew are very interested, but people behind the pulpit, not so much. Not interested in eschatology, not interested in evangelism on a far larger scale than was true when I was a student or in the early days of my teaching it it just seems uh, just crazy to me as we get we're we're getting closer and closer obviously every day is closer to the lord's return but uh you know hebrews 10 not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching um yeah. as you as you said earlier i mean we are we are seeing the day approaching and it's uh i don't see how our world can go on another uh you know, 25, 35, 45 years. The Lord may not be coming back for another hundred years, but it's hard for me to envision how we can survive if he doesn't. Well, this is why the people in pews who read their Bibles are very interested in this. And you take 
one thing in Bible prophecy that sounded so weird and strange, that there was going to be this great battle called Armageddon on the plains of Israel that was going to involve huge armies from several different nations of the world. And that seemed so far-fetched. Yet here we are right now today, after the massacre in Israel, October 7th, the entire world is on a hair trigger, and it is easy to imagine a great battle with multiple nations taking place in the land of Israel right now today. As a matter of fact, it's the only place you can imagine a battle like that. Would a battle like that happen in South America? No. No. Central America? No. No. Asia? No. No. Europe? No. No. Israel is the only place where a battle like that could be envisioned with little difficulty by people today because of the extreme tensions that are present right now. That's why the people in the pews really want their pastors to teach them what the Bible says about the end times. And, uh, yeah, you asked the original question was, was there a greater preponderance of premillennialism in the past in Southern Baptist light? Yes, there was. And there's not as many people who are premillennial as there used to be in Baptist life, in part, I suspect, due to the growing influence of Reformed theology in Southern Baptist life. But the bigger issue to me is guys are not thinking about it very carefully or very much, and they're not mm -hmm. preaching about it. And guys are not thinking about evangelism, and they're not preaching about evangelism very much. And when you think you are being evangelistic because you take a mission trip to Asia or you take a mission trip to South America, that is only a part of the question. You, you cannot be more interested in taking the gospel elsewhere than you are in taking the gospel across the street or to your neighborhood, because those neighbors are just as lost as the people who never heard Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Chuck, thank you so much for being my guest. The website to go to is Dr. Chuck Kelly, K E L L E Y dot com, and you can find out more about uh, his writings and uh, things like that. So, Dr. Chuck, always a pleasure praying for Rhonda and praying for you guys in this very, very difficult time. And thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. God bless. God bless. Well, thanks for listening to Real Truth for today. And just as uh, Dr. Chuck Kelly was saying, we need to shine. We need to share. We need to live out the Christian life and open our mouths and tell our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones about Jesus who is mighty to save. So do that today, this weekend. I'll be with you again on Monday. God bless. The views and opinions Thanks, expressed Mark. in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect <laughs> those of the American Family Association or Thanks, American Family Radio.